Welcome to Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I'm delighted to be joined by Sister Bridge McKenna, who is known worldwide for her ministry to priests and her healing ministry. A member of the Sisters of St. Clair, she has traveled extensively, giving conferences in all parts of the world. Her healing from crippling arthritis is recounted in her book, Miracles Do Happen. We now begin part three of our three-part discussion going inside the pages of The Power of the Sacraments with Sister Breach McKenna. I, I'll give you another teaching. I minister at the deathbeds. I have had more people calling me who are dying of AIDS. Mm-hmm. Now, AIDS is a terrible thing, or any, any sexually transmitted disease. And because of my ministry of healing, people will phone me, and they're desperate. They want to be healed. And I, often, I will say to them, or when I meet them face to face, I say, well, how did you get AIDS? And people say, you don't ask, and that is very embarrassing. I say, listen, you can die of anything. We're all going to die. This is one thing we're never going to escape, is the doors to go through to death. But it's not what you die of. It's how you die. And I say to them, and many of them will say, I remember one young man who was on his deathbed, dying of AIDS, and he had lived a very promiscuous sexual life. I mean, he had just, you know, with men and women, and he, now he's, he, and he was only 24 years of age, and he's on his deathbed, and he's begging me to, for me to come and see him. So I did go to see him, and uh, as I stood at his deathbed, I said to him, how did you get this disease? Did you get it? And I put the words in his mouth, and he looked at me and said, yes, sister, I did. I mm-hmm. said, now can I ask you a very I said, you know, Jesus loved. He is a compassionate Lord. But I said, are you willing to admit that you were wrong, that it was wrong? And he looked at me and tears run. And he said, oh, please, sister, no. I know it was wrong. I, I'm so scared, I know. I said, listen, if I get you a priest, will you confess? Will you talk to the priest? Don't be afraid. Christy, he died a saint. Mm. He had a beautiful death. He, he was grasping the crucifix, t- telling Jesus how much he loved him. And this is why I tell people, you know, Jesus is full of mercy and compassion. There's nothing to be afraid of. And we priests, Catholic priests, have the power to forgive sin. They have the, and this is why confession is so important. The priest needs to be gentle and compassionate. And if it, it is Jesus that it's not the priest. You know, sometimes, I mean, I've had bad experience myself in going to confession where, you know, the priest could be harsh about things that you say, well... Jesus would never confront people like this. You have to be truthful. You have to be honest. You have to do, follow the church's teachings. But you also must remember that you're sitting, and people must remember this, you're sitting in there, and it is Jesus who is the merciful, compassion Jesus who's coming through you. Hmm. Oh, Sister Breach, I want to bring up something that I think is very difficult. I mean, we talked about those who suffer physically, and you've even brought up those parents who have children that they are told that their child will be handicapped. Well, my husband and I, for many of us who listen to our program, know that we have two children who are autistic. Mm -hmm. And with autism, what I found was that over the years, my, my first reaction was, how could God do this to us? But then I, I realized now, especially through Our Lady, that it was a tremendous gift. In mm-hmm. that, I mean, what mother would not want to know that her child will be in heaven? 
you know. But it really is for us. And I think what it is, it's a much bigger thing that there's an emotional suffering that this this whole world is going through, that, that suffering of the heart that Our Lady suffered so, you know, and her sorrows, that that we don't want to confront that. So we use all kinds of things to try to make that go away. And the only really response is through the grace of those sacraments. Yes, the sacraments, it, um, in fact, I visited um, somebody just just two days ago who has um, a little girl who's very uh, allergies to everything, you know, and really suffering. And it's a terrible cross to these parents. And they have five other children, four or five other children. But the mother and father are really good Catholics, and they go to daily Mass. And the mother um, teaches CCD even in the midst of her cross with this, this cross in the family. And she said to me, she said, you know, sister, we, we know that Jesus is giving us the strength. We know, and the same as you mentioned autistic children, I know many, many people with uh, children with autism. And uh, I can tell you that they have extraordinary strength uh, given to them. And I'd say to you that this girl that I spoke about who is, is, is a mother of five children, she's a mystic over in Ireland, and the lay apostle direction for her times, she had a little boy, and she tells the story, a little boy who was uh, with autism. She worked with him, they prayed, her husband herself, they're really devout, beautiful Catholics. And that little boy has come on, and I'm sure you find this, one of the things I tell people with special children, because I am convinced that people who have either a Down syndrome or a little child that has, uh, you know, a lot of suffering, that they are people, those special children whose soul is immaculate and full of grace, that God places them in your home, to, not to, to, to care for them, but to also sanctify you. Mm-hmm. And that it is through your prayer, laying on of hands, when you go to communion, praying, that you can see it. Now, I'll give you an example. I have a, a beautiful little girl that um, she happens to be Father Kevin's niece, and she was told that she was going to have her first baby. And in Ireland, she was pressured. The doctor said, you have to have an abortion. This child is, and they give her terrible. And they were so hostile towards human life. That girl cried for nine months mm. because they told her all these, you know, she had diabetes, but, you know, she was under control. Her husband's a beautiful young Catholic couple. She goes to prayer meeting, she goes to daily mass. Always, when she was a little girl, she went to adoration. She came to me when she graduated from university here in Florida, and her and I would go to adoration. Well, now she'd been always praying for a family. She got a beautiful husband, mm-hmm. first child. They uh, told her all these horrible things. Anyway, she kept saying, but I want to carry the child. And the doctor said, well, you know, are you sure? And the doctor was hostile. The nurse, it was awful. The baby was born. Now, the baby had a lot of, of things wrong with it. Not half as much as what they told her. The little baby, you know, some of the stuff that they told wasn't nearly well now during the first month she knew she she just herself and her husband loved the baby father kevin and myself went and we prayed and we saw the little boy beautiful little boy now that little boy now is about eight months old and if you could see what god is doing it's slow it's a lot of loving and a lot of but that couple have said and so have their parents and all the other brothers and sisters 
this baby has been the means of grace and unity and healing and wholeness for an entire family. One of the doctors came back and apologized. Mm. That many of the nurses have been deeply touched. And two things I've witnessed is the, the, the love, the extraordinary love that the mother and father have for this little child. She went, and one of the things that Sinead told me is that the parents, they were told, I think the baby's dead. This was when she was carrying the baby mm-hmm. because there's no movement. Just offhand like that. And she, every day she went to adoration. And one day, she, the day after that, she was sitting in Eucharistic adoration begging Jesus. And the baby jumped in her womb for a half an hour. Mm. And she knew that my baby's alive. Now, that little baby has had, we're praying to Pope John Paul II, and she said to me, I have every saint in heaven on his case. Mm. But he's doing beautifully. He was just conditionally baptized, but he was baptized last week, Feast of the Baptism of Jesus. So that's why when you talk about special children, parents, and I'm sure you would say this, Chris, yourself with your husband, that they affect, because they're little grace-filled tabernacles in your home. Oh, yes. they will, and Pope John the Twenty Third. There's a beautiful testimony when John the Twenty Third was Pope. You know, he's a little small, fat, elderly Pope, and he was sitting on his on his papal chair in the audience hall in Rome, having an audience, big general audience, in Paul the Sixth audience hall. And the Swiss guards all stand there to protect the Pope, you know, in their beautiful plumage and uh, dress. And a little three-year-old Down syndrome child got up. And it's a slope down the church. He ran down the aisle, through the legs of the Swiss guard, and ran up and put, climbed up on the Pope's knee. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Father lifted him up. And he said, he gave a teaching. And I'll always remember, he said, look at this little boy. He is a dynamo of grace directly from God. And he said, the parents that have a child, a special child in their home, must never underestimate the power of the living presence of God working through this little child. Mm. What a beautiful teaching. It is. It's and this it goes for all these little children who are suffering, all these uh, uh, parents who are being encouraged to abort their child, to destroy their little child. I beg them, if you only knew the hundredfold of grace that God will give to you, for what you do to them, you're doing it for Jesus. It's true. It's it's the heart of all Catholic social teaching. Everything that, of the gospel. It's that dignity of each human life. Dignity, yes, each human life is important. Just as the elderly. Just as you know, um, a friend of mine said one day there was, a, and this is another part of teaching about the dignity of life. I have these very very close friends of mine in New Orleans, and uh, one day. The father, Pete, was walking with his little granddaughter across the street in in the city of New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And there was an old person, an elderly person, with a walk, and they're walking across the street. And the little girl said, oh, Grandpa, look at that poor old man. And the father turned, I thought it was a lovely, he was telling me later, and he said to the little girl, he said, you know, don't feel sorry for the elderly. You don't have to feel sorry for that old person. To be old is not bad. To be old, you don't need sympathy. To be old is to be beautiful, is that God give you this time of life. 
And when you're growing old, he's just getting you ready to bring you back to his kingdom. And I thought, what beautiful wisdom. Because you see, in today's world, the young people, and I mean, look, ever walk down our stores or anything, mm-hmm. everything is geared towards youth. Everything is geared towards being young and with it. Youth is beautiful, and we have to nurture them. And I tell you, we have a big responsibility and a big judgment on how we, we pass on to the young people the, the gifts of the church and the dignity of sexuality, all of these things. But for the elderly, today people are looking at them and feeling sorry for them. Why should I feel sorry for them? Sure, I have to have compassion, and it's not easy. Or I'm getting older myself. But we have to respect them. We have to see the dignity. We have to see the grace to grow, to be old. You know, um, just to, to speak about something that, that happened just recently now, um, and this taught me a great lesson also about the dignity of human life and how you approach. Uh, when, when tragedy hits, you know, whether it's with elderly or young, um, the very big tragedy happened in Ireland, in, in the area where I live, just a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. and where a young bride was on her honeymoon with her husband, her uncle, the, the groom's uncle is a bishop in Ireland. The bride is, her dad is a daily communicant. Went to Mass every day. The beautiful family. Very prominent in sports in Ireland. Mm-hmm. They went on their honeymoon. They, the bride went to her hotel room to get something while the husband was out. She was murdered. Mm-hmm. Just happened. Do you know what the father said? He said, when, and it's his only daughter, he said, now we too must be willing to bear the cross of Christ. Mm-hmm. How could you say that, you know? That's the grace, and that's why dignity of human life, that's why we're able to accept God's will, whether the child is, you know, God's permissive will, whether the child is sick or not well when it's going to be born, or whether the elderly person. We all have to continuously pray that when every day, whatever comes in my life, I will never be afraid to face Jesus and say, Lord, give me supernatural grace to carry my cross, whether it's a sickness, whether it's as I get old, whether it's through death, which is, is, you know, the doorway to Jesus, but it's also something that's very difficult for those who are left behind. Oh, Sister Reach, to be able to have the grace to be able to, to say something like that, and you have to be able to pray. Oh, and yes. and do we know how to pray? I know our our great holy father Pope Benedict is is imploring us to make the journey from the head to the heart so that we can encounter Jesus. But but do we know how to pray? Well, you know, prayer. You know, when I was a child, prayer is the opening up of mind and heart to God. You know, and of the raising of your mind. But one of the most powerful ways for Catholics, of course, the highest form of prayer in the Catholic Church, is the Eucharist. You know, that's the highest form of to participate in the, in the Holy Eucharist, mm-hmm. uh, to, to participate in this event that won salvation for us. But another powerful form of prayer is, is Eucharistic adoration, mm-hmm. is, which is sweeping the world. And I just thank God for Pope John Paul II and for Pope Benedict, because Pope Benedict has requested that every diocese, not one diocese, every diocese worldwide have at least one Eucharistic chapel. When I mean Eucharistic chapel, we know the Blessed Sacrament is in the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. But the Pope was asking that the Blessed Sacrament be exposed on the altar or, you know, for worship and adoration. And I know 
being a sister of St. Clair, my saint, St. Clair, is always depicted holding a monstrance. Mm -hmm. And that really goes back to her extraordinary faith in the Eucharist. And it is told in history that, you know, she she spent her her life in bed. She was a very sick woman physically, but she had this extraordinary prayer life in connection with the Holy Eucharist and with the Blessed Sacrament. So much so that... um, some theologians say that she didn't hold the monstrance to the window when the Saracens were going to attack, but actually that she stood and she was like a monstrance. Mm. And see, I tell people, if you find it hard to pray, there's two things I advise you. Say in your home where you live. Say, the great St. Teresa said, the first thing you do when you talk to a person, if a person walks into a room and you're going to speak to them, what's the first thing you do? You look at them. You contact them, eye-to-eye contact, to speak to the person. You don't speak to a person with your back turned to them because it would be rude. Mm -hmm. But you make communication. Well, the reason why we have statues, holy pictures, icons, all those sacramental things around our house, I tell Catholics, get yourself a beautiful big image, whether it's an icon or a painting of the divine mercy, of the sacred heart, of the immaculate heart of of the saints, and when you pray, have a little place where it's important, where you can make contact. Look, like as I'm speaking to you, I'm looking at a beautiful picture of the Jesus, the teacher. It's a big icon. I, my room is full of images of St. Clair, the, the Last Supper, the Annunciation. I love images because it keeps me, it surrounds me with reminders. But when I pray, I go to the Blessed Sacrament. Same thing. If you're not able, because I live in a convent, so I just have to cross the corridor and I'm in, into the Blessed Sacrament. And we have a monstrance which is in the door of our tabernacle. We can just open and just sit there for hours. Mm. And I tell people, St. Teresa talked about the prayer of looking. Just look at Jesus. Just say aspirations. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I'm here because I trust you. I want to be with you. Um, you know, sometimes we, we don't find it easy to then read, you know, the Our Father, where pray the prayers. You know, there's beautiful books today that can help you pray, words that are meaningful. Mm-hmm. And there is nobody who can pray, because all you have to do is look at Jesus, or look at Our Lady, and let their presence touch you, and just say, Jesus, teach me how to pray. One of the, the great um, insights that I got was an experience that I had when I, years ago, I have made a commitment every day to spend a couple of hours of Eucharistic adoration. And I do it not because just I love Jesus, but also because I realize I couldn't live without him, and it's my life. I'm a religious, and that's what I vowed my life, to, to be with Jesus and to put him first in my life. And so one day, I was in Ireland, and uh, I have uh, this program that we run intercession for priests, this... Um, Every day we, at the intercession program, there is an hour of Eucharistic adoration where all the priests go to, and nobody does that. It is completely taken up with adoration or personal prayer. Mm-hmm. Nobody does any counseling, talking, or anything. And then, of course, I would have my own other hours of prayer. But I counted this as one of my hours. But one day a, priest, a group of priests came and said, Breach, we need to talk to you. Please, we're leaving early. Could we see you? And the only time that I could see was during this hour of prayer. So I gave it. I said, okay, I'll meet you at 10 o'clock. So I never thought any more about it. 
I told the priest that at 10.30 that night before he went to bed. I said, Father, I'll meet you all, the five of you, at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning when all the other priests are in adoration and everybody in the campus. I never thought anything about it. The next morning, I'm going to breakfast, and I meet a missionary from South America who was over at the retreat, mm -hmm. this elderly priest, and he said to me, Breach, I have something to say to you, and I don't know how to say it to you. I kept thinking, what do you want to tell me? He said, I don't know if it makes sense. But last night when I was going to bed, I kept getting this word, tell Breach, that was my hour that she gave away. And I said to him, what? He said, that's all I got. Tell. And you know, Chris, at that moment I realized that he had no idea. But I had made a commitment to Jesus that I would give him that hour. And I didn't consult with the Lord. I, I treated him as a thing, not as a person. He's a person. So mm -hmm. I canceled it. I went to the core group and, the P so I and I went into church. And Jesus spoke to me. You know what he told me? Mm -hmm. He said, you know, when nuns, and Carmelites and Cistercians, they go into an enclosure and they're in behind a grill, you know, all these strictly enclosed orders, and nobody can go inside that enclosure because that's reserved. They're, it's particularly reserved for those priests and nuns who live an enclosed life. And that's, we call them contemplatives. Mm -hmm. and then Jesus said to me, but all of my followers must have an enclosure. And that enclosure is in the heart there must be a little place left reserved for me alone. And yesterday, you opened the doors of that enclosure that you had for me, and you were taking others in. Always remember that the I love, I wait for you to come to me. I wait for those children of mine just to come and be with me in prayer. That's their enclosure. And that's why, Krista, I am very conscious now that... It is a person I'm meeting with. If I was sitting in the dentist chair, I couldn't get up and say, listen, I have, have to go now. Um, somebody's waiting for me. Because I pay the dentist. When you make an appointment with Jesus, and that's why whether, it doesn't matter. It might be only 10 minutes for a mother with a big family of children. It might be, you know, 10 minutes. It might be when you're changing your baby's diet. But give Jesus. If you just look at Jesus, talk to him. Give him some time every day with your children i have a mother uh, whom i know mm -hmm. and she's a great she's a doctor and a very prominent doctor and you know what she does she tells her children and she's lively children several of them she's now we're going to have 15 minutes of silence mommy wants to talk to jesus and you talk to jesus too and the children have learned don't disturb mommy because she's talking to jesus that's what prayer is mm. It reminds me of uh, the gospel of Mary and Martha. And even though Martha was serving him or what she thought his needs were, he kind of lovingly rebuked her and said, yes. Mary has chosen the better part. That's right, yes. So prayer is important. It, it is, uh, I tease people because I always tell them, you know, you if you have no gasoline in your car, you can have a Rolls Royce, but it's <laughs> no good because it won't move. So we can talk about all the gifts we have, and we can talk about how wonderful things are. But if we don't have, if our souls are not exposed to Jesus, and if we don't have a, an intimate relationship with Jesus, we won't bear fruit, because that's what Jesus said. Do you remember what he said in John 15? He said, I am the vine, and you're the branch. 
and if you apart from me you can do nothing you have just if you cut yourself off from me you're just like a withered branch thrown out but if you abide in me you will bear fruit that will last and that's what i tell people that's prayer if you have an intimate relationship with jesus and we have to fit the the the, the, the prayer life according to our vocation in life like for example christa you are a mother of a family or a woman who's going out to work she's a breadwinner she may be a single mother and she's all these chores she will not be dem- like people say oh, i'd love to be like you sister breach pit pray two or three hours a day but that's my life i committed my life as a religious woman to pray to go to daily mass to go to confession to 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 live a religion that's that's i that's demanded of me mm-hmm. and that's it's not a kind of a, a something that i should be proud about because it's what i promised now for a mother with a family if she she has to gear her life so that she can get some time and oftentimes i tell young mothers look at when you put your children to school and maybe you have a baby why not go to mass if you drop your children off at 7 30 or 8 as my secretary does jackie who's a mother of eight children she goes to daily mass every single day. she drops her children off and she takes her little baby to mass or her two children that are at home and that's one of the things I encouraged when Jackie came to work for me 23 years ago, but I didn't need to because she loved. So I say to mothers, go to Mass. Make a visit to the church. Mm-hmm. Spend 10 minutes with your little baby. Go into adoration. There's different ways. Or just when, when the baby's sleeping at home, pray the rosary. Or look at EWTN, get the Mass that's there, or one of the, the Catholic stations, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's many ways you have to adapt your life and your vocation to make sure that you have that enclosure, that your heart has a place for Jesus alone. I have a, on my website, I put a prayer up and instructions, and I talk about a lot of what I'm saying to you now. Mm-hmm. I, I give a little teaching sometimes on different topics, you know. And um, Oh, I, Sister Breach McKenna, I could just sit at your feet all I'd, day. Thank you so much for the time that you've given us and the power of the sacraments. It. It is uh, just, a, a again, I can't, I've said it repeatedly, it's a tremendous gift that needs to be passed on to others to help those be brought into the, the great gift that we have in the sacraments to help us to understand. But I hope it's helpful to you, uh, Christy, what I shared with you. So well, keep me in your prayers, won't you, because we start, Father Kevin and myself start ministry in a couple of days. I will, Sister, and thank you. You just don't even know the tremendous blessing this is. Well, I pray very much, and thank you for your work, and listen, thank you for the great Archbishop out there, for the oh, bishop. Yeah, Archbishop Lucas is great. Thank you yes, so much, sister. Great. All right, God bless you, Krista. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. And I'll keep you in my prayers. Please do, sister, please okay, do. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. This concludes part three of our three-part discussion with Sister Bridge McKenna, going inside the pages of The Power of the Sacraments. To obtain a copy of The Power of the Sacraments, as well as Sister Breach's first book, Miracles Do Happen, go to ServantBooks.org, the website for Servant Books, or you can find them at any fine Catholic bookstore. To learn more about Sister Breach McKenna and the work of the St. Clair Sisters Retreat Ministry, located in Palm Harbor, Florida, go to www.SisterBreach.com. There, too, you will be able to request prayers for your special intentions. To hear and download our entire discussion with Sister Breach McKenna, along with many others, go to www.insidethepages.com. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. 
Join me next time for Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors.